Okay, cool. Lab meeting 19. Well, I'm not yet. Here today as our guest in the different studio that we're in today um, is Mr. Joel Steele from Upstairs. He's a PhD Wait, candidate. Quick, quick question. What? Are you related to someone called Jock Steele? I'm related to lots of Steels. I don't have an idea. I know someone called Jock Steele. That's a big high chance, probably so. Um, <laughs> Anyways, we digress. So he's a PhD candidate studying proteomics at the School of Life Sciences at UTS. Um, g'day, mate. How are you? Oh, great. <laughs> another day, another dollar. Um, yeah, here we are. Um, Thursday before the Easter long weekend. So, um, you're a PhD student. You started about the same time as me? or No, you started before me. Six months. So, you started the same time as I am. Yeah. Um, last year. So, you're now... Second year. A year and a bit. You've done yeah. your stage one. Done stage one. Kicking into stage, stage two. Stage two is like prep for a month away, booked in, even though it isn't another year, but... It's done. Yeah. It's ready to go. Cool. So, in an analogous fashion, how do you see your PhD? In your own words, what's it like? The best way to describe my PhD is something like Groundhog Day, except more of a science fiction based Groundhog Day, like lasers and machines blowing away, but same thing every day, just slightly different and seeing the effects of it. That's all it is, Groundhog Day. So that's great. Um, no one's thought of that yet. I know it's early days, but like that seemed like a pretty obvious one. <laughs> You've pinched away. I've thought about 50 different analogies, and I think that's the most apt. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'd like to give people a bit of time. So, explain to us what the basic principles of proteomics are. What is it? I've got no idea. You've told me like 10 times, and what's your PhD about? Alright, so to start off with, proteomics. Proteomics is the study of proteomics. So all cellular mm. life consists... Mm. Wait, wait, wait. I hate when people use, like, the word to give the definition. But that's what it's a different word. Say. I, I know, I know. I've got to give you the context. Okay, okay. Alright, so proteomics is the study of proteomes. And a proteome is all the proteins that make up a cell. So mm. technically it is the study of the function of all cells. Specifically whatever one you're looking at. Okay. But generally the study is how biology actually works at the most fundamental level. At a level. cellular, but, yeah. structural level. It's structural, functional, functional. metabolism. Yeah. Everything that a cell does is done by protein. It, it, DNA codes for proteins, so it's the library that makes all the machines, but protein is the machine. Okay. It's the enzymes, it's the catalysts, it's the... it's everything. It's the it, lot. It's, it's everything. It's probably how your brain works too. So question. So you believe proteomics way more informative maybe than say genomics, transcriptomics, all of those, because this is a massive debate. It's, I'm not going to step into the debate of <laughs> proteomics is better than transcriptomics. I believe that as a systems biologist that we need yeah. to look at all of them to get a bigger mm -hmm. picture. DNA can tell you what can potentially be there. mRNA transcripts can tell you what theoretically there could be there, so they might have been produced but proteins are actually what, what is present there? in your cell. Mm. You can up amplify DNA, so you can start with an infinitesimal speck on the side of the table and you can get somebody's genome. With proteomics, I need actual protein, so I, there's no way for me to up amplify I just got to start with large amounts of sample. If we want to work with the brain, I need hundreds of brains, that sort of thing, yeah, to okay. actually get a functional understanding. Yeah. So, where I'm going with my research, 
I take a proteomics look at neurodegenerative diseases. So I'm looking at particularly Parkinson's disease at the moment and how the drug levodopa is treating Parkinson's patients. But due to its similarity as an amino acid, it can potentially make its way into the middle of proteins. And really susceptible uh, cells in your body could damage over the long term for proteins that are damaged or misfolded mm. is your brain, neurons. They can break down over time. So my hypothesis is that the drug that we're using to treat Parkinson's patients is potentially accelerating the disease and causing neurological deficits. Alright, so that's obviously pretty important stuff if we're accelerating a degenerative process in aged people. Um, wow, okay. So how come we haven't figured this out already? Um, the reason we haven't figured this out already, so that's just one of the amino acids I'm looking at. Yeah. This is one hypothesis. This, 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 this is one hypothesis, and this is one potential amino acid that's doing it. So, the reason we haven't really figured it out is because Parkinson's disease, you have to treat with levodopa. There is no other way around it. That is the final and last call drug you can give a Parkinson's patient, because patients Parkinson's patients are um, deficient in production of dopamine and you need levodopa or L-dopa to, to produce dopamine. Produce it. So that's, then, that's how the drug works. Yes, the, the drug actually gets catabolized by uh, AADC cells. Uh, I can't remember what that is. You've gone too deep already. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I can't remember. So it's dopaminergic neurons, the ones that are, particular, that are responsible for producing it. Most of them die off during Parkinson's, why there's less. Yeah. So you supply a larger amount of L-dopa and it starts to actually get produced in other cells around the region. Yep. Cool. That's the general idea. But the reason we haven't found it is because let's say that the rate of incorporation of these non-protein amino acids into your, into your proteins is 1 in 10,000. So you yeah. have 10,000 molecules that are normally functioning, or 999,000, and one that isn't. Yeah. So when you're trying to measure one of these molecules compared to 10,000 of them, and theoretically it's going to be sampled at the exact same time in the machines I use, it's really hard to tell the difference. It's like needle in a haystack. So what I'm doing is finding ways to cancel out the noise and separate those two out. So I use enrichment strategies, I change the way we use machines, I change the way we use computers. I'm trying to find ways around this to actually identify it. And I have so far identified incorporation. Only cool. in models, though, in neurons, yeah. I mm. Fair enough, then. That's full on. Um, yeah, you're in a, in a sense compared to, well, at least compared to me as a, a real field-going scientist, you fit into the proper mould of what a scientist, inverted commas, actually is. You use high-tech lab gear, you depend on the frequent, you're always in the lab, you've got a lab coat that's consistently on. Um, and it's interesting when I speak to people who work on other levels to us, you know, in this building, it's building sixes in bioscience, but speaking to people in building uh, level seven, level five, where you're doing medical stuff, I'm so out of my depth. I have absolutely no interest in it, in, in learning it. Yeah. It's cool stuff, but, but like, you need uh, I'd rather learn it in plants, but like. But that's what I'm doing too. But yeah, I'm, I'm not but that's just... what makes you tick. 
So with the Liga Dopa stuff, like the Parkinson stuff, that was one facet of my project. Mm. I'm looking at other causes too, and my other major cause is uh, a non-protein mass amino acid called BMAA, beta-methylalanine. That's uh, studied here on level six, and it's produced by algae. Yes, so that's part of my lab. And yeah, it's, and it's a neurotoxin, and it's one that could theoretically be making its way into proteins as well. And that could be resulting in the Alzheimer's and motor neuron disease that we're seeing. That's part of the funding for my superbox. We're seeing the uh, correlation between areas of blue green algae or microcystis. I microcystis, think. yes. Toxin producing microcystis that produces BMAA. Yep. And we're seeing correlations between frequency of that and Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, uh, motor neuron disease. Um, oh, so it's Parkinson's. more than one. Oh, it's so, so it's a suite of neurodegenerative. There was a back in the. 1950s, there was a, a case on Guam, the island, I don't know if you know, that's where America ended up yep. during the war, they had a base there. Everybody that left there, and all the people that lived there, ended up developing a disease complex known as the ALS PDC. So it's Alzheimer's, um, Parkinson's disease complex, yep. and dementia as well, I think. Anyway, so back on that island, people all left, and 20 years after they all spent time on the island, they all developed this complex of diseases. So they had the symptoms of Alzheimer's, they had the symptoms of Parkinson's. Oh, so they got the whole They got the trifecta. The package. Yeah, they got everything. So it wasn't just one single one. And they traced it back into the, into the diet. They like started looking at the environment. Because all yeah. these diseases, it's 90% environmental. So we're looking up, we're bucking up the wrong tree with genomics because we've spent billions on that and got nowhere. So it's not the human genome. It's, it's part, there is a, there is a, a susceptibility. Yeah, there's a susceptibility and it's a fraction that can be inheritable, but that's only 10% inheritable. We have 90% of environmental factors influencing us to develop these diseases. So back on this island, they started looking in the diet and what they found was uh, tortillas that they made out of cycad seeds. Yeah, yeah. Those, um, that, that flower made from the cycads is contained BMA yeah. and a whole bunch of other neurotoxins too. That had a whole bunch of steps to wash it out. Back when they studied it, I think it was, might have been Spencer or Cox was the researcher. Um, they figured out that it was there, they measured it using um, mass spectrometers and machines to quantitate it, but the level that it was at didn't induce the sort of neurological deficit that was being seen by people. So, they fed it to monkeys, short saw what it did to them in really high doses, acute paralysis, Screw all those sorts of things, messed them right up. Um, we came back, well, I didn't come back to it, uh, Cox came back to it in 2004, I think was the last paper, well the one that kicked it off again, and he went back and looked at the diet and found that um, they were eating the fruit packs that flew around the island. Was a delicacy, uh, right? And so the, Wait, the people were. Yeah, the people, the locals considered a delicacy. The Guam, okay. uh, I can't remember the name. Wait, quick question. What country is Guam a territory of? It's American. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that yeah. was the question. That was the question in the in the paper yesterday, and I was like, hmm. It's part of America, as far yeah. as I'm aware. Yeah. 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 Um, so that the. They all had it. So they're eating fruit bats. But what bags. was in the fruit oh, bats? So, so the fruit bats were eating it. twice their body weights of cycad seeds at night. So, so it was like a heavy metal. Are you getting a bioaccumulation? It was bioaccumulation. Like a heavy metal does up the food chain. And therefore you get magnification into your cells. Yes. And so then those levels were working out to be a gram, a kilogram of that non-protein amino acid in their tissue. So that's pretty rough. So that's where that's coming from. And you have people that aren't eating enough dietary amino acids anyway, enough protein, mm. and you start to eat these other ones that 
you your, shouldn't be eating. Your proteins are yeah, all this bad stuff. And that increases your chances of getting into your brain and causing bad diseases. Okay, so this is a really this is excellent good. fusion between uh, environment where we are, yeah. environmental aspects and um, not genetic disease related outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, we had a really interesting talk by Rick Carney yesterday and he was doing the same thing, talking about bacteria in uh, oceans and stuff that's coming out of sewerage and stormwater pipes and there's we're just like we're, we're just starting to think about what's actually happened to plastics in plastic water bottles that's coming out and mm-hmm. all that type of stuff so we're all slowly yeah imagine how much plastic is like bioaccumulated up oh boy nice plastic water bottle there Anne. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as global warming increases as climate change increases oh. how do you want to put your inverted commas around we know it's there, it's not an overall it's fact, it's scientific fact now yeah. um, as the world increases in temperature so will the number of blue green algal blooms exactly. if you have a number of blue green algal blooms increasing and you'll have eutrophication of water surrounding our livestock and our irrigation we start coating beans, yeah. wheat Everything we grow. Everything we water. Yep, and particularly China use blue-green algae as a fertilizer. We're potentially getting that getting into our rice. We're performing experiments on alfalfa and rice at the moment and seeing if it actually gets in there. Free versus bound to protein, so, and it's yeah. there. So this will be going towards a biosecurity issue at some point. Well, it is a biosecurity issue. Well, yeah, but it's not being talked about. I no, mean, no one's aware of this. This stuff. is such a complex disease, it takes years to generate. I'm, I'm doing it in a neuronal culture because it can grow neurons and treat them at high doses. Do you think people live too long anyway? <laughs> yeah. See, if you, there's a whole bunch of debate around this, and I've read very valid reasons for both sides. People are living too long, but I think we aren't living long enough. The longer a person lives with a better quality of life, the less likely they are to reproduce in massive amounts and to increase the burden on the world. So, if you're living for longer, you're more self-centred on your prospects and your children's prospects. But if your standard of life is low, you're more likely to reproduce and have lots of offspring to increase your... That's really interesting. Yeah. And we see that even happen today in a sense of we don't live in an age where you need to have 14 kids to run the farm. Exactly. But still in people with uh, low SES, you do get that type of happening. Well, lots of kids. Many reasons for it. Oh, exactly. It's a multifaceted issue. But that's that's super interesting. Well, that's what I think. If we will give everybody a thousand years on the earth, imagine what they do. Imagine how much more they think long term. We'd be making decisions that were better for the environment and better for ourselves. People are just too short-sighted. Oh, yeah, what was I... I think it's been... Did I read somewhere? It's been like 18 or 20 generations since Shakespeare. And the shit that's going on now is going to impact like 300 to 400 generations of people. It's like... Screwing it, team. Are you going to make it that long? Three, four hundred generations? Anyway. No, we won't make it that long. Yeah. We won't make it. Water War 2015, World War 3, we're done. World War Water. World War Water. WWW. Water World. Yeah. No future. The Black Town. Future Water World Water World scenario. You know, with. Kevin Spacey? No, the other one, Kevin Costner. I didn't watch it. And he had like this diffuse and drink his own urine and he's kind of living in a burn and the whole world is like... I think oceans have risen. Aren't we going the opposite way? There won't be enough water? There There won't be enough fresh water. But the oceans are rising. Yeah, Yeah, so he has to drink his own piss. Why are we doing that anyway? (laughs) 
There's enough companies out there producing filtered water. Why the fuck not? If we could do oh, that, exactly. okay, give me a yeah. give me a filtration system in my house. I'll happily drink my own urine. Yeah, exactly. as long as it's clean. So let's take a step back from where you are, where we are, where the world's going. And <laughs> you're a bit of a self-professed nerd. Um, yes. I've known you since first year. So what's that, 2012, nearly six years we've been at this place. Oh, university. one more year and you guys will be friends forever. True. True. <laughs> um, so what's your origin story with science? What got you here? Was it sci-fi? Was it's it like gaming? X, it's X-Men. Well, yeah, I know he'll understand that. Yeah. I'm speaking to someone who will get that terminology. Um, the way I started, it's... it's what, what got you here? What got me here? I always liked science. I've always thought it was something cool. I liked stars, I liked the whole idea of quantum mechanics, I liked how big black holes were and all that sort of stuff, but that was, that's what drove me to like, studying in year 11 and 12, I liked chemistry and physics, mm. but I never studied biology until I came to university. Yeah, I was the same. Yep, I, um, I had cancer when I was younger, which disallowed me from getting entry into the Air Force, I made the aptitude chest, uh, aptitude for being a fighter pilot, but due to my health history, I wasn't able to. So I was like, I'll go to uni and I'll wait till, I think it would have been 2014 when I would have been able to apply. Mm. I was halfway through my degree then and I didn't want to do it. I thought, if I'll go and be a doctor, that would be a good idea. Maybe I can save maybe a thousand lives. Cool, a thousand lives. But if I go be a scientist and like, I end up curing Alzheimer's or something like that, I save millions of lives. I save generations yeah, lives. Or contribute I save all your research. It's, it's, it's not a selfish thing in that respect. Yes, it's selfish that I want to know more than other people. I want to learn about the world that things have never been seen before, but helping people in a way that's unmeasurable is something that's interesting. So you're framing your learning as something that's selfish. That's really interesting. Well, isn't everything selfish? Everything we do is selfish. No, if, no. If, you're, if your learning is driven from a perspective of I wish to help people, is that not altruism in its truest form? Does altruism even exist? Oh, oh, get fucked, mate. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, I think about these things way too much all the time. Does, like, does ethical consumption of capitalism exist? Well, I no. think people want to be altruistic. Yes, that's it. Want and it. in that case, then, if we've taken that as a definition of altruism, then yes, I want, I'm altruistic. Well, so I want to help people. Yes, yeah. so I do. Oh, that's cool. but, in, but also I know that by doing what I'm doing, I'm actually enjoying it too. So altruism doesn't have to be a painful thing. Yeah, but science still gets you out of bed in the yes. morning. Like you're still excited by yes. what you do. I know it's Groundhog Day. And yeah, I'm some days are weeks harder than the others. Some months are harder than the others. Spending six months last year where nothing occurred due to some technical issues, mm. due to a supply of a particular reagent. But that stuff happens, and especially in my field, it takes a while to figure out whether it's the machine not working or it's you not working. Jeez, so. mm. I love observational biology. Pretty good. <laughs> buckets. I measure things in buckets. Bucket science is the best chemistry ever. Buckets of leaders. Um, cool. So, you're in the proteomics world. It's, as you said, it's rapidly advancing. It's going ahead at a rate of knots. What are some of the areas it's progressing? What are the, what are the big dogs excited about in proteomics? Uh, Where are we taking it? So, well, not we. proteomics... It's pretty much off the back of genomics. That's that's what it is. We we're taking the war and we're going forward. The idea is we had the human genome project. We now have the human proteome project. 
Cuba. Mm. This is organization. So, is it the same mm. proteomics in each cell of a human or yeah, it's, it's it's everything. The, we mm. want to understand the human proteome down to every wow. single aspect. The way they're approaching it is they're just cutting off chromosomes and giving whole chromosomes to different labs around the world. Yes, it is in the most intuitive Chris, way. Chris, what am I thinking of? It is in the most intuitive way to study it, but it's it's a, it's a starting point. We're getting there. The the current forefront. Wow, you med guys really cooperate. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know. So Not cooperate, but like <laughs> you know, will know how much they actually want to cooperate. Yeah. Um, in Sydney, the best example of somebody going really far forward in proteomics, the Children's Medical Research Institute uh, at Westmead, yep. run by several amazing scientists, but the best proteomist there is um, Phil Robinson, and they've got a project called ProCan. ProCancer, proteomics cancer, yep. is what I think it stands for, and they got a lot of money from um, machine suppliers, mass spectrometer producers, yeah, okay. and from the government, and from every other funding body there is. And their idea is they're going to do the proteome of 80,000 tumors. So, 80,000 80, tumors. So, for what it takes me to process yeah. like, one batch of cells, like doing my particular set, it might take me a few days to get it from tissue into the machine. And they're doing this for 80,000, and they're doing it in technical replicates with replicates on replicates, so that way you have What is that? Five to ten years, or are they going to smash it? <laughs> they've got... They've got robots. They've, they've got everything. They've got... I think it was off the last time I checked, it was either six or eight mass spectrometers that are high-end that are constantly running samples. Constantly, twenty four seven, all day, every day, running samples through. They've got like people just standing around making sure the machines are running. The samples are being processed, standardized procedures, and um, yeah, they've they they done it a few years. Was that just a shit, shit ton of energy? Oh, like, the, how like... much energy a mass spec uses? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the, just... the, the, the bill and the amount of liquid oh. nitrogen because oh. you need liquid nitrogen yeah, machines for all these cells. Yeah, I can't even imagine the cost. Millions upon millions, hundreds of wow. millions. They pitched a hundred million dollars as well to take to get the project off the ground. I think you've got something yeah, ridiculous off like the ground. Off the ground and keep it not to keep it sustained. Yeah. Yeah, but that's going, and they they're developing huge biological like software algorithms for. They're, they're trying to develop AIs to crunch through the data to make sense of it, so we can understand biomarkers and we understand all the possible combinations of metabolic pathways that are changing. That's what's happening in Sydney that's really standout-ish, but every university here that does proteomics does something really does something in a good. unique way. It's, it's a very, there's not many of us, we have a conference in Lawn in yeah, Florida. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a few of us that go every year. How was that conference? Pretty good. Did you present? Did you, I uh, presented a poster, last post year I did a talk. Yeah. So I didn't have enough. So it's always down at Lawn? Always down at Lawn. Yeah, fair enough, which is you know, hometown return for you down to Tassie. Yeah, and, and they have like two and a half months of just straight back-to-back -back science conferences from everything from like um, what they do, immunology to mm. protein structure to genomics to every type of possible conference you can think of as there. Yeah, and so there's a few of us and then we get all the best people from around the world and they come down and talk. So there's big ones in America in proteomics, but I haven't been to them yet. You get it. Um, geez, it makes you feel like a fucking shit kicker when you're <laughs> just counting zooplankton. 
but uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, Christ. So, are there other fields in science that you've got an interest in? Like, um, you were talking about you were into physics and astrology. Have you kept that up, or do you just keep in touch with it in a sense of sci-fi? Like, what are you into sci-fi-wise? What's been catching your eye on Netflix? <laughs> so... Ah, so that was um, my plastic water. So are we going for what I like in sci-fi? Is yeah, let's let's let's, let's just. Oh, I'm I'm not out of questions, but I'm ready to open up the floor I and talk in joy. I also have one quick question before yeah. we move away. Oh, we're allowed to have so many quick questions. Yeah, I know. Based on your T-shirt, because when I did a little short stint in the proteomics lab. Everybody likes the same kind of music. Yes. How did you all happen to come together it's and like the same genre of music, which is what heavy metal? Heavy metal. Yeah. Hardcore heavy metal. I was thrash, metal, rock, punk, thrash. Thrash. Yeah. Just, but metal everybody ball. is down with it. It's, How did it, this happen? Well, it's the takes a certain kind of You'll find that even a lot of people that do proteomics in general are people like me. Yeah, they do like heavy metal. Amazing. Is it something to do with lab rats and like? Uh, it's what you're exposed to. So I'm the only way you really get into proteomics upstairs is if you did like a master's level subject proteomics here. Yeah. Or you had a research collaboration in another lab. So people that are actually at this university wanting to come up into our lab normally exposed to us the people that like this sort of yeah. thing. So I think it's a real particular type of person that does like the things that we like. And so we and, we and we and we rub the people if people get rubbed the wrong way and they don't like us then then they don't stay for it. Well yeah, and didn't go back. No. Whereas I, I But I, I would come back to do work there. I just <laughs> don't have anything that is solely proteomic based. Yeah. Like I'm more ecological stuff and I'm not at the proteomics. Proteomics is a tool, not yeah. the entire field of study. That's yeah. that's so I would use it for certain little snippets, but we're not at the the point where I can say I can just do proteomics for the rest mm-hmm. of my life, and that's where we're at. Yeah, technologies and that. So, yeah, it's little bits and pieces. Yeah. But, yeah, we all like heavy metal. That's just. <laughs> that's amazing. It's no. a fact of life. But then again, they, there's different colours of heavy metal. Oh, yeah. there's, mm-hmm. there's ultra black, or then there's the you know pump pop stuff. Um, so so pump there's pop people and I'm not fan. Yeah. Some people are okay with the heavy metal, but some people aren't too. So we do switch it off in the lab too. And it gives you energy too, yeah. like for the first four hours. Then after that, and the real reason we pump music in the lab is because normally we sit next to mass spectrometers or other heavy whirling machines. Yeah. Mm. And that sound, I don't know if you ever sat like in a lab for you know like fourteen hours straight by and it's yourself. Had that really loud. Like whirring, whirring, and yeah. buzzing, right. and electronics. It, it, it drives you nuts. So what we do is but we drown. But even silence drives you nuts. So yeah, you, that, need you need something, something and that that will send you nuts. So we just play music. Yeah. We have a hard drive that has like three hundred thousand songs on it that everybody just dumps their music onto. Solid seventy percent of it is metal, but there is everything that. Those the occasional. Just slide through. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like right. Sesame Street, we have everything. <laughs> There's even Sesame Street in their songs. <laughs> Alright, so back to sci-fi. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, it's just, just, you know, everybody who does sci-fi is kind of interested in sci-fi in a direct measure. Wait, do we know anyone who doesn't like sci-fi in science? Well, they should fucking get out. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like there's some people that don't like I think you get your particular type. Like, I'm 
I've come around to Star Trek in a big way, but you know, that's just that's just me. <laughs> I love Star Trek. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's been catching your eye on Netflix lately? I know you're a watcher. You, you yeah, do devour a series. I'll do devour a series in like night and then move on. So well, what's been up recently? I think the most recent one was Alton Carbon. Mm. And uh, that that feeds into the are we living too long? Because we what did we read? Something it wasn't you. It was me and Nate. And it was like, if we make it to 2050, we'll live forever. Well, we don't know how <laughs> yet, but if we make it to 2050, you can live forever. And I was weighing up, do I want to? Yeah, I would. Not forever, but I'd love an extra couple hundred years just to fuck around and get some stuff done and live yeah, in a couple yeah. of different bodies. No, I've read so many science fiction books and genres and watched so many different types of movies on the concept that... I can understand why it's so daunting, but then again, I'm not bored with life and I'm constantly looking for You're not yet. So You're 25. <laughs> what, you think that we're ever going to know everything? I wouldn't mind knowing everything. Do you think that at 90 you'll be like, oh, you know what? I'm fucking sick of learning. Uh, my body might get out, but I don't reckon my mind. Yeah, it depends if I can keep getting a new body. Um, well, the you got to keep yourself interested. The per- first person to live for a thousand years that's the last thing I read, should have been born already. That's somewhere I read that in some somebody technological Well, journey. I'm born already. Yeah. It's a great start. But, but it's one person I'm one in seven billion. will live for a thousand years. The first person's alive, apparently. Yeah. Based on statistical odds of technological advancement. Well, yeah, and that's but, the thing. If we live to 2050, you can get your little altered carbon chip and switch bodies. Yeah, if we discover advanced alien civilization when we... I think we'll get wiped out. <laughs> if, we, if we come across yeah. any other alien species now, we're, we're done. We're we have to come across them first, because then we're in a position of technology. We, we, we <laughs> need to be not self-reliant on fossil fuel and still stuff on a single planet before we can come across them. We're done for if we can yeah. come across them. But statistical odds are... Unless, close by, unless we hit the Vulcans yeah. first and they want to help us out. They help a brother out and get rid of like the liberal government in Australia. <laughs> I'd love to see Spock do that little nerve hold on Tony Abbott and Matt Cavanaugh. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, cool. Um, so yeah, Ultra Carbon, great idea. Live forever, but you know. But the last three episodes sucked. Started so strong. I made the episode stop and finish because I watched yeah. all in a sitting. So. But yeah, there, there was a there was a lot late part of it. I was like, yeah, this sucks. Um, yeah, but I've read that storyline somewhere else before, so it's not something that I had come across. Yeah, I've things watched it in anime, consistently. Yeah. Um, what else have you been digesting? Um, my current like fancy is I read a space opera writer Peter Hamilton. He's the greatest UK science fiction writer or something. He pictures himself as. He has sold multi-million copies of books. But He's got a bit of evidence to back it up. He up. has got some strong evidence to support that claim of being the best UK science fiction writer. So it is space opera. Space opera. Space opera. So it's not just like it's a science fiction book. It is a science fiction book, but the extent is he creates like multiple storylines around the same issue with every person having a background and having like 40 different characters interacting sort of thing. I was going to say, is Star Wars on the first space operas or space operas on screen? I'd probably say so. Yeah, I think I've heard that described. Yeah, so. So, that, so these books that he writes are extremely detailed. He has like his vivid imagination of what's going on in the world. So like The sci-fi version of War and Peace. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
every possible science fiction idea you could ever come up with, or anybody else could come up with, he seems to have already written and put in a book, and like every type of technology we could ever get, he's written into a book. I really find that um, convergence of the fictional invention of technologies and the way technology runs to keep up with that idea yeah. to be really interesting. Like and that's why I like first. reading his, because his books are all pitching all the concepts of like, you know, NI cameras, yeah. smart body cells that produce, like everything that we want is sort of broken. Have you world. watched Annihilation yet? Yeah, I watched Annihilation. Um, <laughs> I, that's awful. I, I had a great time. But oh, that, it is. feels awful lot like a drug trip. That one scene where stuff. the the plants get hox genes, yeah, and they grow like people shaped. Ah, oh, it's just one really beautiful scene. But that's super cool. Like, that's a great little sci-fi concept. Oh. So, is this the stuff you procrastinate on, or are you not a big procrastinator? Oh, no. You're a doer. I am a doer, but my motivation sometimes wanes. And yes, I do procrastinate. But what I do with procrastination is I go and do something different in science, and not particularly the exact thing in my project. I procrastinate being. Like I do my RA work on the side, working for another scientist, working on an e-cigarette, like whether it's that's, possible that's not, or not. Working is not procrastinating. But it's procrastinating for my PhD. I'm not doing my PhD, but I am doing work. Uh, that's the best form of procrastination. Productive procrastination. You're getting paid for it. True. And yeah, that's one of the things I'm trying to do. And I'm writing a paper. Yeah, good fucking writer. Awesome. So. You're all year and a half through. Any tips and traps for young players? Um, what are the things to watch out for? So many traps. What are the positives of doing a PhD? What are the negatives? Speaking from limited-ish experience, you're not at the back end of it, but you're certainly on the way. No, but I've spent a lot of time up you, at this level too. Yeah, you've been up here three for a long years, time. Three and a half years now. So talk to us about positives, negatives, tips, traps. So positives of doing science, if you want to do science, it, it, it is fun, it is great, but can you live with not being on a nice paycheck from day to day? That's, that's a negative. So like that is a negative. For some people, that's really hard to do. Yes. Living circumstances in Sydney are expensive. Tried to live out of home for a while there and nearly broke the budget a few times. So. Yeah, never bothered. I knew I couldn't do it. Yeah. I'm still doing it. What are you whinging about? You and bloody he, sooks! Because he spent three hundred dollars at Kmart last night, and I spent fifty dollars on Easter eggs. Don't buy shit for people. <laughs> sure. okay, but I need mean, yeah, a cooking set. No, so. oh, just use your roommates like I do. I don't have roommates. I want to use my mum's. I've already broken her pocket like properly. So. so yeah, the pay so packet thing is an issue. Yeah, so money is not that great. But you get to do something you like. Yes. Like, I'm not selling my soul to work for Macquarie Bank and hate my job five days a week. Like, I've got some friends and they're just just realising that they don't actually like what they do. Yeah, it's funny yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm like, oh, you don't pay me enough to be here, so I come in at 10 sometimes. I'm like, oh, I feel good. Yeah. So do you make your passion your job or do you have your passion as a hobby? That's... Mm. But in this case, if you go to your PhD, you make your, you hope that your PhD is your passion. Yeah. Because if you don't have the energy for that, you're not going to have the side. If you're questioning whether or not you want to do research and you've already dipped your toe in, like, so you've done a master's of research or you've done an honours, and you're still unsure whether you want to go on and do research, then that's probably a point where, like, maybe it isn't for me. So yeah. Probably shouldn't do it. Probably shouldn't. 
But then that being said, maybe if it's the people you're with, the people you work with. And that's what I did. I took a year off and went, geez, I miss it. Yeah. And you come straight back. Yeah. And so then that's cool. Like if you make it to the end of honors, maybe go and do like a couple of months of pro bono work in somebody else's lab on somebody else's paper and maybe you like that laboratory. Yeah, yeah. all of us, what is it, set birds of a feather flock together? All exactly. of us proteomers flock together. Or all work like because we can get along, because that's half the battle. If you don't get along with the people you with or the people in your university or yeah. in your field, it makes it really hard. Internal so politics, hard. yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a game you learn to play, I think. I'm not any good at it, because I kind of just ignore it and try to believe that it's not happening, and it's never really affected me, particularly as a middle-class white male. But <laughs> certainly, oh, yeah. Yeah, it certainly uh, is something you do have to be aware of going going deeper into this. Oh yeah, um, there's so much politics behind the scene, no matter what, especially with the funding being cut to Australian research, oh, everything else like that. It, it, it literally becomes the point where we're stabbing each other in the back to get funding. Not not that science. I read something the other day is that I think this might have been a tweet that you reposted. Um, was something about 15% of all research grants get funded um, and that's out of 66 million or something per year and the amount of effort it goes into grant writing just to be told, nah, yeah. sorry mate. So you're losing, what's that, 85% of people's grants are just not And then reckon the next like 30% of those should get funded too. So it should be yeah. like 30% should, should be getting funded. But, and then the 15% that are getting funded are only getting funded at a fraction of the yeah, money. Yeah, you're not getting full you're funding. Not, you're not getting full funding, you're getting half funding. You're getting half the amount of money required to pay for a postdoc. And that's what that's I... That's in postdoc and then the university expects you to cough up the other half of the money to pay for it. And it's just... And take top off your, your family. Um, that's the thing that shoots me is like, Oh, big farmer, maybe a little bit big farmer, but fucking big climate change, they're just fucking rich and rolling off. I'm like, I've never seen a rich environmental scientist. I've never seen an environmental scientist that is rolling in cash, but you know what you see? You see plenty of people that are rolling in oil money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm rolling on my bike, man. (laughs) You're rolling it downhill. Oh, yeah, it is downhill, thank God. but if you're rich in the position and you go and do your PhD and that's what you're set on, then you should do it. But if your aim is to do medicine after your PhD, then... What are you doing? Well, that's fine by me, but you're wasting a lot wasting of your own life. You want to be doctor doctors. Yeah, you're doctor doctor doctors. Yeah, no, I'm fine with one if I even get finished. Yeah. Um, that's... And it's, like if you've made it to the end of honours and you made it into the masters and you actually want to do a PhD, like... Can you write yet? Because you're going to have to be writing papers. Maybe you should take a writing course. So you, yeah, there exactly. are so many things like that that are required of you as your PhD. Like maybe take some time off and have a break before you go into it. Yeah, have a thing. Have a thing. Yeah, it's certainly what I did. I recommend it for anyone who is thinking about it. Um, we done? Have you have you got more to say, mate? Do I you talk about that? I know you could. Enjoyable. Do you want to plug anything? Um, do you, want, do you want to talk more at length about uh, governmental funding? Do you want to talk about um, what's going on in South Australia with them just axing health ministers left, right and centre? Um, I don't know. These, these are watchwords, I'm pulling. Where are you getting these watchwords? I watched the news last night, actually, for a different change. See, I'm trying to avoid that now. I do watch it every now and then. When TV. I'm doing I don't have the TV, so I can't watch news anymore. Oh, I just hit up a little bit of ABC. I avoid it. 
I avoid it because it makes me upset. Like, uh, I, the, the, the true happiness is like obliviousness to the what the media is spilling at the moment. So I don't like particularly switching on the TV and seeing like you know four toddlers hit by mums reversing over child while on crack. That's not really the stuff I enjoy seeing every day on the news. But something like that seems to pop up, or yeah. some humanitarian disaster police somewhere. Brutality. Police brutality. brutality. Somebody shot up a school again in America, and America doesn't care that the schools are getting shot up. That sort of stuff, like. Life's getting tough, isn't it? Yeah. So I really like in on the facts that yeah, you know what's happening in the world, like when it's doomed. It's a twenty-four hour news cycle as well. Yes. You're assaulted by it. It's not something that makes people happy watching this sort of thing. It's not enjoyable seeing this stuff on the news. And for somebody that's already stressed enough with a PhD, I don't think that I need to have existential crisis. There's a How do you maintain your uh, uh, if you can, if you do, how do you maintain a positive disposition or positive mental health during your PhD? Positive disposition? I try and maintain a positive disposition by treating myself, whichever that may be. Spending lots and lots of time with my own partner. That's um, nice. You've got to make time for that stuff. Well, we both do a PhD, so we're lucky oh, that you sit next to each other. Yes. <laughs> oh, do you really? We, we live together. How do you feel that? Is that not too much? We we don't particularly get sick of each That's other. That's good. Have, I get sick of everybody. It's a healthy relationship. We do, I can imagine, as all couples do, have fights and disagreements. But yeah. I think we're more mature about it and understand that we want to be happy and we like each other and we think we're the best person for each other. So, I still couldn't sit next to one. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, like the one that annoys her, not the other way around. Yeah, exactly. You're fine. So that's, I was lucky, I lucked out, I'm dating somebody in what we already do. It might be difficult when we want to have kids and we both want to have careers in science because what are we going to do? Who's going to take the knee and stay at home with the kids while we do a professorship or yeah, we have to travel around the world? That becomes stressful, but that's how I maintain some level of happiness. I read my books, I have like science fiction books. That yeah, yeah. A book seems to make you escape reality for a bit, which is nice. TV shows are great too. I do have like more Xboxes and like VR headset and like every Xbox game known to man. No wonder it's tough to live out of home, mate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it must yeah. cost you a fortune. You know, and the electricity in the EV bag. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Very nice. But yeah, I do enjoy that. I don't do it very often, but when I do, I enjoy the whole thing. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, should we wrap it up, Anne? Yeah. Call it there. Um, Thanks for the day, mate. That's Thank you. Awesome. It was very um, interesting. So, if you want to follow Joel on his somewhat inactive, sometimes it's active Twitter, um, you can at Joel is Steel with an E on the end. Um, or even better, you can follow us and catch up with previous episodes of other scientists we've interviewed at AlumNotYet on Twitter. Or you can follow me as an individual at Pelagic Johnson. Um, jump on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, so we don't have to ask you to do this. It really helps us out, um, and we really want to hear feedback if you are listening and where you're listening from. But otherwise, that's it for this week, Anne. Yeah. Anne? Yeah. Um, Cheers, Joel. Thanks, Thanks man. Joel. Okay.